morning, welcome back. So lovely to hear the room full of chatter. Um, it's great to be here this morning and I just want to say thanks so much to the worship team this morning for leading us so well. It was just really amazing to be in the presence of God and just to hear them lead us in singing. It was just really beautiful to listen to you guys as well worshiping, so thanks so much for leading us in that. Um, so I'm Kate, I am the assistant pastor here in Carrick Fergus Vineyard, married to, to Dave and on the first day of our Christmas holidays um, Dave and I went on a wee road trip to Armagh and we decided to go to the planetarium. Yes, we are nine years old. We were the only adults there without children. Um, and I, um, as someone who did single ward science at school and had no interest at all, and really no clue, and still have no clue about anything scientific, um, I was learning a lot, particularly from the nine-year-old boy who was sitting in front of me, who the guide from the planetarium actually had to tell to be quiet at one stage because he was stealing her thunder. But I was like, oh my goodness, he knows all the names of the moons and what's going on in Jupiter. I'm like, how does he know this? Um, and they showed an image of the Earth from space, but it was the Earth at night. And I was really struck, you can not really see it because the light is on, ironic, um, you'll see as I get to it. And I was really struck by how much light our planet radiates at light, how there's places that you can barely see um, any light and places that you can barely see any darkness and how physical and political boundaries come into play. Um, you know, on where is switched on at night. Oh, you can kind of see. So this is NASA from NASA. So NASA's website's fascinating. I'm learning so much, it's brilliant. Um, and in 2017, Time Magazine produced an animation of 21 years of nighttime satellite images um, of the Earth to show what the change was. So do you think the Earth has got brighter or darker? Brighter, yeah, definitely has got brighter. And you can clearly see that, excuse me, in areas like India and China, that as they have developed the infrastructure of these, um, of their countries, they've got brighter at night. Um, and electricity has allowed us to blur the boundary of day and night. Um, and we no longer have to stop because the natural light is gone. We can keep going, we can be on constantly. And this is exactly what the definition of our word restless is, a state of being on constantly. Thanks to electricity and the light bulb, the majority of us no longer have to confine our working hours to when there's daylight. We can work at any time. Thanks to Wi-Fi and personal devices, we no longer need to be in an official office to do our job. How many of us have said on an evening while sat on the sofa, oh, I'll just nip on to my emails for 10 minutes. And we don't need to wait until we get home to bore our friends and family with our holiday photos. We can bore them in real time with WhatsApp <laughs> and Facebook and Instagram. And we no longer have, um, have to wait until we meet that person um, to tell them or ask them something. We can text them at any hour of the day and night with whatever is in our mind. Surely that's there's never a bad thing to that, you know. Um, and we can all recognise that this state of being on constantly has become uh, our culture's expectation of how we have to live. 
We feel like we have to reply straight away, have an answer immediately, be contactable at any hour of the day and night. And I was with someone recently who was on their annual leave and their phone rang constantly with calls from their, co um, their colleagues. Um, we are even on on our days off. And we can all recognize this and think that that's just the way it is. And it has its downsides, also has its upsides. Late night Tim Hortons, Tim Bits, anyone? That's quite a good upside. But theologian Thomas Merton takes a different view of a state of being constantly on. He says this, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many pro projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. And that's a really intense, strong opinion of this impact of re restlessness. And I thought when I read this, I was like, this would make some teachers like perfect essay title. They would just throw that code out and go discuss. But it definitely gets you thinking whether you agree with it or not. And I think we can agree that our 24-7 constantly on society is having an impact. And Chantelle explained last week um, uh, that this restlessness, this being on constantly, is having a negative impact on a lot of aspects of our lives. And if you weren't here or you didn't listen to it last night, I would really recommend going back and having a listen. And before we decided to do this series um, on Sabbath, Someone I follow on Instagram posted a conversation they were having and one of the people said something that stopped me in my tracks and made my shoulders drop a bit and my soul, my soul go, Amen. And they said, we are living in a world that we were not designed for. And as individuals, we're not designed for restlessness. We're not designed to be in a state of being constantly on. And I believe that Sabbath, a practice that Jesus embraced, will help us discover our way back to the life we are designed for. And there are four aspects um, of the Sabbath that we're gonna be exploring. Last week we explored our stop. This week we're gonna look at rest. And in future weeks we're gonna look at delight and worship. And if you have your Bible with, us, with you, I would love you to turn with me to Genesis 2. And we're gonna to read together. Let me just lost my place. Genesis 2. Verses two to three. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So I want you to turn to the person next to you so I can find my place again that dropped out of my Bible. And I want you to um, say, say to them, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word rest? Go. Do you want to shout out some things that came to mind? Bed. Bed, yep. Relax. Relax. Maybe a wee nap. Maybe like a wee mindless um, go in a few episodes or something on Netflix. <laughs> Definitely. 
And when I hear um, the word rest, I do think of that sitting on my sofa. But the idea behind Sabbath rest is far more. It's rest for your whole person, or what Jesus called, said, called in Matthew 11, rest for your souls. On the Sabbath, we rest like God from work, all work. It says that um, God rested from all the work of creating he had done. And it was not just paid work, not just our jobs, but all work, including chores and errands and to-do lists. We rest from working, but it's more than that. Rabbi Abraham uh, Joshua Heschel in his book, The Sabbath, says we rest not just from work, but even thinking about work. And neurosciences tell us, if I can say that, I'm not a science person, obviously. Um, neuroscientists tell us that when we think about work, even if we are at home resting, it secretes the same stress chemicals in our brain as if we were in the actual situation. We rest from even the thought of work. But it's not just work and thinking about work. We rest from wanting and worrying. We rest from our unsatisfied desires. This Christmas, I experienced something I've never experienced before. And it's something I've discovered quite a lot of people experience. And if you get all these people into the one space together, it intensifies the experience. I'm talking about Christmas meat anxiety. It's a real thing. Serious now. Two days before Christmas, I find myself spending longer than normal in two butcher shops, uh, waiting whilst person after person collecting their turkey, ham, beef, sausages, black pudding, who knew that was a thing at Christmas? Um, and the majority of those people took a look at what the butcher gave them and went, I don't think that's gonna be enough. And this anxiety over too small a turkey and ham was infectious. Dave and I were starting to think that the emu-sized turkey uh, breast and leg that we had ordered was not going to be enough for one meal for seven people. And it takes a strong person to be unaffected by this Christmas meat anxiety, or just someone used to catering for giants. Cecilia Milburn happened to be in the butchers at the same time as us and reassured us that we had enough meat to feed her sons many times over. <laughs> we can be driven by desires that make us restless. The writer of Ecclesiastes put it this way, no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. We are never satisfied. We are not content. This is restlessness. And all of us have likely lived with the restlessness of unsatisfied desires, not like just Christmas made anxiety, but proper ones. Desires that are in themselves good, maybe a restoration of a broken relationship, excuse me, healing, marriage, children, people we love um, coming to faith. Desires that we rightly pray about, but we never quite leave with Jesus. Desires we hold on to and turn over and over in our mind. Desires that become worry, worries that are all consuming. And I really sense today that God wants to say amen to those desires this morning and on every Sabbath until they're realized. And amen, amen, translated from the original Hebrew means let it be so. And we present our prayers and finish with amen. 
let it be so. But I sense that God is saying that to us today. That God is saying amen back to you this morning. Let it be, in the Paul McCartney translation. That good thing you're crying out to him for, that you're giving yourself no rest about, let it be. Trust him with it for a day. Jesus said, come all who are weary and heavy heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And on this Sabbath, we rest from everything that makes us restless, any type of work, thinking about work, and our unsatisfied desires. We let it be. And as Chantelle highlighted last week, stopping is good for us. Our bodies and minds need it. There is some evidence to show that we live longer if we stop and rest for a day a week. But rest has another purpose. Sabbath is also about resistance, about not being conformed to the world that says that we should be on constantly. And you may or may not know that in the Ten Commandments, um, the uh, commands by uh, the Ten Commandments are recorded twice in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And the first is in Exodus 20, when Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai, right after leaving um, Egypt. And the second is in Deuteronomy 5, on the edge of the Jordan, right before entering the promised land. And there's about 40 years in between, which means that Deuteronomy 5 is to the next generation who were unborn or still kids at the foot of Mount Sinai. And the Sabbath command is similar, but a little bit different. So if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, we're going to read from there. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh, seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God has brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. And there are two differences between the Sabbath command in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. And the first is this. In Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath. But here it says, observe the Sabbath. And in Hebrew, the word is shamar. And it means to keep watch over, to guard. Um, And if you think about it, it's how you observe a holiday or a holy day, a special day such as Christmas or Easter. We guard it. We make it special and unique. And that's the idea. Sabbath is not supposed to be like any other day of the week. We are to guard it as a special day. And the second change is about the reason for Sabbath. And if you flick over to Exodus 20, it says, For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
But in Deuteronomy, it's remember that you were slaves in Egypt. The Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Same command, but a whole other rationale behind the command. In Exodus, the rationale is grounded in the story of creation. Here in Deuteronomy, it's grounded in the story of liberation. You were, past tense, slaves in Egypt, but you're not slaves anymore. And in Genesis and Exodus, Sabbath is about rhythm, six days, rest on the seventh. In Deuteronomy, it's about resistance. And um, this week, we're going to be looking at Sabbath uh, as resting as a form of resistance. And in the Exodus story, there's all sorts of examples uh, about the Israelites being constantly on, um, of being restless. And in Exodus 5, verse 4 to 9, it says, Moses and our Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their tasks? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land and you're stopping them from their work. That same day, Pharaoh sent his order to the slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and offer sacrifices to your God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. And in this story, Pharaoh is a cruel tyrant. No matter how hard the Hebrews worked, it was never enough. And it wasn't just Pharaoh, it was the system of Egypt as a whole. Israel was making bricks to build supply cities, entire cities just to store all of Pharaoh's extra stuff in. And it was an economic system built on the back of slavery. And to get the um, lavish lifestyle of a pharaoh or an Egyptian, you need cheap labour to work all of the time. And slaves don't get a Sabbath. Slaves are subhuman. They only have value on what they produce. They work all day, every day, until they die. And God had called the children of, of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to be his chosen people, to be free, to be in a confident relationship with them. Their identity was no longer in what they did or in their value to Egypt, but their identity was in their relationship to, to Yahweh, to the Lord, to God, the creator of the universe. And the Sabbath was a marker of this new relationship. They were to be part of a new kingdom with a new king. And as Christians, we are part of a new kingdom with a new king. Paul in Romans 6 says, you were once slaves to sin, but because of Jesus, we are free now. Peter says this about our new identity in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And as Christians, our identity is no longer what we do, the roles we play, the stuff we buy, who we help, the status we hold in society, but it is in God. On the cross, Jesus paid the price um, to free us from our slave driver of sin. 
He died and rose that we would no longer be slaves. He set us free instead so that we would live out who we were always intended to be, God's chosen people, his royal priesthood, his special possession. And some of us, I think, can hold a view of God that is similar to that of Pharaoh, a cruel, ungracious tyrant who is never satisfied, who doesn't care how we are feeling, only that we are towing the line and doing as we are told. But I can testify today and say that this is not the God I know. My experience is one of a God who is holy but kind, who is patient and who is for me, who wants to see me flourish and thrive. And I love how the psalmist puts it. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. God is a good father. He is a good king. He's not Pharaoh. And I'm wondering for some of you, is that your view that you hold of God as a cruel Pharaoh? And what I would really love to do now is just in the quietness and stillness of the seats, you don't have to identify yourself or put up your hands. I'm just going to pray because if that's you, I just want you to encounter this good king, this good father. So we're just going to take a moment to pray. Yeah, Holy Spirit, rest on us. Now I just pray that you reveal the love of the Father. Yeah, where we maybe hold a view that is different of who you actually are. Yeah, will you come and change that? Yeah, thank you that you are good. Amen. And if that resonated with you and you would like some more prayer, we would love to pray with you at the end. As a practice, Sabbath helps us to resist an identity that is not from God. It doesn't, um, it doesn't change our identity. Jesus does that. But Sabbath helps us to remember and embrace our new identity in Christ. We are no longer slaves. And God has gone to great lengths to bring us our freedom. But we need to choose to continue in that freedom. And we can so easily forget that we are no longer slaves and get swept up in uh, with our modern day pharaohs and their empires. That we forget that our identity is not in what we do or what we own, but it is in him. It is in Christ. And I believe that Sabbath is one of the ways we can resist. As we Sabbath, we are declaring that we have a new kingdom and a new king. And because Sabbath is an act of resistance, it also means that when we practice Sabbath rest, we will feel resistance from both outside us and within us. So how do we do it? So we know that this culture around us is Sabbathless, it's restless, it's constantly on. So to practice Sabbath, it will require us to be intentional, it will require us to prepare, and it require us to be determined to go against the flow of our culture and it will mean that we will have to live a bit differently and I don't know about you but I am more likely to practice something if I've set my mind on it and I have 
prepared for it. I've set myself up for a bit of a win. So that means deciding when you're going to do it and what it's going to look like. So Dave and I are trying to do um, Sabbath all around the traditional Jewish time frame, which is Friday tea time to Saturday tea time. And we um, try to mark the beginning and end with prayer and a meal. So we managed to do this on Friday night. Um, we already tried, we're, we already anyway had tried to do our shopping, cleaning, our laundry at other times. So we aren't doing it. Um, on Saturdays and we have learned the hard way and um, that going to Abbey Centre on a Saturday was the complete opposite of restful and life-giving for us and I think it was kind of ironic that um, Dave and I both ended up at Abbey Centre yesterday and I was sitting in the car going Dave I put this in my talk that we are not going to Abbey Centre and we are in Abbey Centre how did this happen yeah I, I'm fired <laughs> Um, but yes, so all good intentions and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we try to do things that give us life and spend time with people who are life-giving. So that looks like swimming in the sea with my friend Leslie. It looks like a nice cup of coffee um, on Saturday morning. It looks like a game of Risk for Dave, considering he crushes me all the time. I'm looking for someone to play Risk with Dave, who will take him on. I am not no match for that. Um, but. It, Ruth Haley Barton um, is someone who's written so much on Sabbath and on her podcast last year um, she released 17 episodes alone on Sabbath um, so there's a lot of stuff out there and she explores what it means if you're single, if you're a caregiver, if you have small children um, and I would highly recommend that you have a wee look at her podcast and find one that kind of fits your stage and you'll be getting a wee email um, this evening with links um, to uh, her podcast um, and I just I do highly recommend it it is great to listen to but we have to start somewhere don't we it doesn't need to be perfect it is a practice and we adapt it as we go and I really don't want this to be a tick box exercise for me where we kind of talk about this for five weeks in church practice it a bit during the time and then forget about it and um, going back to being constantly on and I just for me God is really speaking to me about this practice and about building it into um, my life and Dave's life as well and I really encourage you to ask me about it how are you doing with that and I'll ask you in return um, and my hope is that we really support each other in doing it um, asking how it's going, sharing ideas, encouraging each other, because we won't get any encouragement from the culture around us. And I'm just also really challenged by how we help each other to Sabbath, and particularly when it seems financially impossible. Um, Rich Volodas is a, a pastor of New Life Church in New Jersey, and it's a really diverse church uh, ethnically, socially, economically, and they have a lot of people who are working all hours just to survive. And they have been really challenged and are exploring how they practically help everyone in their community um, rest and have Sabbath. And um, he has a conversation on that same podcast I was telling you to, um, which I would really encourage you to, to check out today. And we have such a short time today, but I just want to recognize that that is an issue. 
but it's one that we need to overcome, not um, to overcome together, and one that shouldn't really prevent us from helping each other Sabbath when we're doing it together. And this series in Sabbath is really raising more questions for me. Um, that from everything I've been listening to and reading, it has really lit a fire in me. And I really want to practice it and explore it. And I believe that Jesus has something for not just for me, but for everyone here in our church. It's in together, it's together in community that we can resist this expectation that we exhaust ourselves. I think it's really important as well as individuals, we re remember to never become a slave driver ourselves. And hence in Deuteronomy 5, God commands, On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. May rest as you do. We can't transfer the expectation that is in us and around us to be constantly on to others. We need to really check ourselves about what demands we are placing on other people and be champions of Sabbath in a culture that doesn't champion it. And as we consider and begin to practice Sabbath, we're going to meet resistance, not just from the culture around us, but from inside ourselves. What is the restlessness inside of us? What's driving us? What's our internal slave driver? And um, Cole Arthur Riley says this, to cultivate habits of rest, we must discern what noise has found a way to penetrate our souls. To find rest for our souls, the kind that Jesus talks about, we need to know what is making it restless in the first place. What need within me is driving me to be constantly on? Is it the desire to be liked, the desire for success, the desire for perfection, status, control, comparison, the list goes on and on. And if the band wanna start coming up, and then finishing up. And with all the practices, and frankly with God himself, we feel that Ruth, what Ruth Healy Barton calls the push-pull dynamic. There's a tug of war inside of us. We feel a pull towards Jesus and his way, a genuine desire to be with him and find rest for our souls. But we also feel a push away from Jesus and his way, a resistance or a reluctance to give up our will and surrender to him. And in the practice of Sabbath, you will feel this push-pull dynamic at work in your own chest. And maybe some of you are feeling it now. You want to shut this talk of taking a day um, off, taking a day of rest. You want to dismiss it. And I was really encouraged you to talk to Jesus about it. Bring that tug of war, that resistance that's inside of us to him. And I am convinced that Sabbath rest is our secret weapon in the struggle against restlessness. An entire day to have enough, to be enough, and in those push-pull moments, when you have to resist both forces outside and within that are anti-Sabbath, remember, you're not a slave anymore. You're free. God is king, but he's a good king, nothing like Pharaoh. And we are part of a new kingdom with Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. And he's offering you rest for your souls. And the question is, Will you resist? Will you rest?